This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. So we're in a, a three-part series called The Story of God, the World, and You. Three, two, one. The first uh, week we looked at three. God is a loving union of three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we said that that makes God a completely different God from a God who'd be on his own. A God who's on his own would be all about himself, would be all about impo- uh, getting people to submit uh, to his rule. He'd be like a speed camera in the sky, forever checking us. And a lot of people have rejected that God and said, I don't believe in that God, but actually I don't believe in that God either, because we believe in a God who's a loving community of three. And, and love is his very nature. So that was the first week. The second week, we talked about uh, two. The world is shaped by two representatives. One, Adam, who's like the first human. His name means humanity and how he rejected God and uh, grasped for self-rule and how that turned the world into chaos and turned his life into chaos. And that comes to all of us. And we use the phrase, maybe you can relate because you're related and you can uh, relate to that. And, and we heard about this this morning that it says in the Bible uh, that... death came to the world through one man Uh, and resurrection came through one man for in Adam all die so in Christ we'll be all made alive and we looked at how Jesus comes as the second Adam to to set us free from uh, the impact of broken lives of sin and death that rules over us so that was week two and then this week um, it's number one you are you are one with Adam be one with Jesus. So that's the choice we're offering this morning. And you might think, click, I'm already a Christian, but I want you to engage with this with some challenge with it as well. But uh, you are one with Adam. That's your nature. You're a human. That your, your, your natural reaction is not to connect to Jesus, to want to reject Jesus. But actually the invitation is, will you be one with Jesus? Father, we just pray as we look at, uh, look at one. We thank you for this incredible truth that we can be one with you. Thank you that when the Bible talks about in Christ, it means we're absolutely organically, spiritually connected with you. And I pray, Lord, that that truth would really empower us, whether we're seeking you this morning or whether we've been a Christian for many years. Stir us, changes in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let me ask you the question. We, t- we looked in week one, we talked about, uh, you know, did God create, is there a God? And we use this phrase, chemicals and consciousness. And I said, you know, that if you feel in love or if you feel a kind of sense of who you are, this is who I am. Actually, I'm really sorry to disappoint you if you're a, a, a material evolutionist. That's just called chemicals. The things that you think are really important, actually, if we believe in just material evolution, that's all chemicals. The fact that you feel happy, the fact you feel sad, the fact you felt man, he went on long last week, that's all chemicals. That's, I'm good. That's all chemicals. And, and I want to ask you the question, if we're all chemicals, if, we're, if you're only matter... You know, the stuff of life, if only chemicals matter, why do you matter? Why do you matter? One um, uh, 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 atheist said, actually, the universe is exactly as you'd expect it to be, purposeless, empty nothingness. 
And if you believe that, there's, that, that everything happened by evolution, everything happened by chemicals and chance, that's the universe you're buying into. So I want to ask you the question, if that's the universe you're buying into, why, why does life matter? I mean, um, you, there's probably a sliding scale. You might say, all life has intrinsic value. I don't know, have you ever squashed a fly? <laughs> have you ever taken antibacterials? You know, so there's something, so we think, no, nah, no, nah, okay, that's okay. That, that kind of life doesn't matter. Let's move it up. Maybe you think conscious life matters, uh, you know, that you can, it, 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 that life's le less important, you know, so, so your dog, woo. so you, you tend to anthropomorphize your dog, you know, you tend to think he's thinking, I'm having a good day, I'm having a bad day, my food's boring, I'm eating the same thing again. You tend to do that because that's what you do, it's called anthropomorphism. All they're thinking is nothing. They're thinking, if, uh, they're thinking food and the other thing which you tend to take them to the doctors to get sorted out about. But, you know, the, the conscious life, but you think, no, that life kind of matters, but, you know, I'm a meat eater. You know, where does that go? Where does life matter? But if it's just matter, it doesn't matter, does it? But what about human life? Who believes that human life has intrinsic value? Put your hand up. A little few more of us, one or two, not sure. Okay, we'll just take you out and shoot you, because it doesn't matter. <laughs> You know, human life has value. We know that, but why? Why does human life have value? Let me, let me be really provocative because I like to do that. If you're only matter, these two things don't matter. These two things don't matter. So there's a horrible story of a, 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 of a lady who was filmed in the States uh, uh, from a, 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 an abortion company called Planned Parenthood. It's a big scandal in the States a couple of years ago. And she was talking about body parts, selling body parts. Now, if it's only matter, that doesn't matter. But there's a scandal. She was even talking about how you reach with the forceps to make sure you don't cross the internal body parts. And we're shocked about that, and we should be shocked about that, because we know that we're, no, we're more than matter. And some people here may have even had that experience of facing, should I have an abortion, even have an abortion. And you want to know that God loves you but you're not matter. There's more to you. And what about the other end? The big push these days is for euthanasia, okay, because we don't want pain, because the worst thing that can happen in our life is we have pain. And I, I, I don't know if, if you've had family members or relatives with massive pain. How do you cope with that? It's a big question. It's a really big question. How do you cope with that? But the reality is, to say I'm just going to end my life, I feel there's something wrong with that, because we're more than just matter. If you're just chemicals and your life ends and then you just rot back into the ground and recycle, that doesn't matter. But we know it does matter. Why does it matter? The Bible says this, we go back to the beginning, made in the image of God. It matters because we're made in the image of God. Let me read it. We've read this many times. This is like the, the verse that we're jumping off from, Genesis 1, 27 to 28. So God made Adam or mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, be fruitful, in other words, have kids, increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, and rule. And then, just to underline why human life matters, there's been a murder. Sins obviously happened. Sins comes into the world. Adam's rejected God, wants to put himself on the throne. The first thing we find is family breakup and, and, and a murder. And there's a murder happens, and, 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 uh, and, um, and the world gets worse and worse and worse. So finally, uh, the, the, God says, look, there's a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds human blood, has to pay, there's a reckoning, there's an accounting. Why did you do this? For God made man in his image. 
That's why when Judeo-Christian people from that kind of tradition, which is basically the tradition of the Western world, we think life matters. I mean, my wife was in India some years ago, and she said she found it shocking that people had been road accidents and people had just gone past. Because they said, well, it's just karma. You know, it's just the recycling of Buddhist kind of reincarnation and everyone would drive on by. Why do we stop and go, whoa? Because we know we're more than matter. I want to ask you this question then. Symbols matter. Symbols matter. There should be a picture of, a, of two flags burning. When I put burning flags, all I found was, union, uh, was uh, stars and stripes being burned. So I thought, look, look, look you know, I'll get a UK flag in there. I'll get a Union Jack in there. But the reality is, why, why do people burn, burn flags? Why do people burn flags? Because it's a way of insulting the nation. So America, the most powerful nation in the world, brilliant. I read a book by Kissinger about America over the last hundred years have kept peace in the world. And we love that. We had a go. We didn't quite do it as well before them, but, you know, kept peace in the world. But, our fla but flags were burned because it was like, whoa, I want to insult this nation and I burn the flag. Because we know that images and symbols have value because what they represent is just, just a piece of cloth with a couple of stripes on. You know, it's just that, a few, you know, it's, it's nothing, but it means something, doesn't it? If I burned an American flag here, you'd be furious. If I burned a British flag, you'd be furious, wouldn't you? Because you think, what is he doing? But actually, if it's just a piece of cloth, it doesn't mean anything. But actually, it stands for something else. And you, as humans, stand for something else. That's why abortion is like the equivalent of taking the flag, the image of God, and burning it. We matter because we're more than just matter. Images and symbols have value due to what they represent. Human life is more than just human life. Okay, we're good. We're good. So that's the first point. The second point is images and symbols have value because of what they represent. Marriage has value because of what it represents. Let's try and track this. You, you go with me, okay? Look at these two. So I, I, didn't, I didn't think this up. Some guy thought this up. And I thought, I like this. I shall steal it from my sermon. Uh, but but in, the, in the beginning, we've done a lot about in the beginning. In the beginning, it says God created, God made the heavens and the earth. And then what you get is, and God made light and darkness, sun and moon, birds and fishes, man and women, yeah? You familiar with that? Okay. Some of you are thinking, no idea. They start at the beginning of the book. You know where you think, where should I read my Bible? You start at the beginning. Don't start there, by the way. But read the first two chapters. Okay. So we've got these things, earth and heaven, light and darkness. I could have put more men and women. Interesting, I, again, I didn't, I, someone said this, I thought, this is very profound. About, does anyone speak French here? They have masculine and feminine nouns, don't they? There's a masculine noun, and earth is a feminine noun. What's that all about? Light is a masculine noun, darkness is a feminine noun. Doesn't mean all women are dark, by the way. Some are, <laughs> but lots more men. <laughs> okay, men, masculine, women, feminine. You could do it sun, moon, earth, heaven. What's going on? Why is that kind of embedded and coded in our language? We don't have it in our, in, in our language because it's all neutral. But it's interesting. And, I, and, and this guy said, and I thought, this is so profound. These are cosmic complementary pairs that have separated at the start of the story and the end of the story, they come together to make one. So we're going to find that right at the end of this talk. There's no more heaven and earth. They come together. 
No more light and dark, they come together. No more sun and moon, but God is the, is the light. What's going on? There's something cosmic about what's going on. So, but that drops down into men and women. There's something cosmic about the relationship between men and women. There's something that images, men and women not only image God, but they image God's creation, they image heaven and earth. God and man coming together. It says, uh, God walked with man in the beginning. But what about this? Hey, okay, so there's a cosmic significance to men and women that kind of images what's happening in the cosmos. But also there's a very, very personal divine one. This is a familiar verse. You read it at weddings. I'm going to speak about it at a wedding that I'm preaching at uh, this next week. Ephesians 5, 31 and 32. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. It's, it's the men who've got to leave, by the way, just in case you're wondering. It's the men who like, like, please feed me, please look after me, let me watch TV. Let me. It's the men who need to grow up and get a pair and start their own family. It's the men who need to leave. I say that because I obviously struggle with that. No, and it says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. He sets up a new family and he's united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. And then Paul's talked a lot about how men and women get on, and he says, ah, but I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about something. I'm talking about the something that the marriage symbolizes that's much, much bigger. I'm talking about a profound mystery, but actually I'm talking about Christ and the church. I'm talking about the relationship between Jesus and his people. So marriage is this incredible thing that, that matters. So let me just track this one. Marriage and sex matter. You know, people think church are obsessed with marriage and with sex. And marriage, why, did, why, why do they love marriage? Why are, they, why are they worried about marriage? Why do they go on about marriage? Is it just because the Victorians and the old school, why do they go on about marriage? Why are they like, sex? No. You do not have sex unless you're married to the person. Yeah? Why is it? Why is that? Because it's a symbol. Marriage and sex are symbols of something bigger. There's something bigger. The, the husband and wife is a symbol of heaven and earth. God and man, and it's a symbol of Christ and the church. They're, they stand for something big. If you don't think they stand for anything, if you think you're just matter, then have sex with whoever you want. I mean, why do, we, why do we feel it's okay to have two people married? That's what's happened in society. You can have a man and a woman, but now you can have two men or two women. And that's okay, you've got like, you've got two, it's fine. But if we just matter, if it doesn't mean anything, why don't you have five in the marriage? Everyone's going to think, flip, man, you know, it's difficult with just two of us. <laughs> or single guys are thinking, I'm struggling to find one, get four more, you know. But actually, why two? Why two? Because there's something that images it, and we kind of know it, and we think, if there's three in there, ugh. It just matter, why not? Why not a dog? You think, why is he saying that? But just work with what we don't do is we don't work with the natural consequences of what we think. Because in there we've got something that says there's something more going on here. You all know that, don't you? If you're shocked, I'm telling you, wake up, smell the coffee. Okay, so we're one with Jesus, that's where we're going. One with Jesus. Marriage between a man and woman is the picture of oneness between Jesus and his church. It's the image of oneness between Jesus and his church. That's the big idea, okay? So what happened with these two? William, I almost call him Harry, William and Kate. Or Catherine now. So what was Catherine? 
She was a kind of slightly skinny kind of uh, person who did a little display uh, at St. Andrew's University where she wore some slightly scanty, scantily clad clothes. And Prince William go, I want that one. It feels naughty to say that's how it started, doesn't it? Because what's happened is she's become joined to this guy, so she's now suddenly HRH. Instead of Catherine Middleton, you know, son of an so averagely successful businessman, she's now, whoa, Catherine Middleton. She's going to be queen, Catherine, I guess. There's something about marriage that changes everything. And we had a chance to marry Jesus at the beginning. Okay, okay, if you guys, I just want you to hold on tight, okay? Just hold the edge of your seat, because you're going to be girls today, okay? Girls normally have to be, you know, sons and heirs and all that in the Bible, but this week, we're, all the men, we're, we're being women, so just, women are used to that, we need to get used to it. There, there was a wedding at the beginning. Adam, t- t- please don't hear what I'm not saying. I've just mentioned about <laughs> Adam and Adam's people were meant to be joined with Jesus at the beginning. Uh, C.H. Spurgeon, the Victorian preacher, says, we believe that our Lord Jesus to be none other than the tree of life. Remember, there's two trees in the garden at the beginning. There's a tree of knowledge of good and evil, which we grasped and said, I want to be on charge. I want to define what's right and wrong. I want to be king. But there's another tree in the garden who we could have taken hold of and could have joined with him and been connected to him. He is he, God and his people but we turned away from that. Uh, Paul kind of alludes to it in 2 Corinthians 11, 3. He says, Just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Jesus. There's implication that there was some sincere, pure devotion to Jesus that should have been made into a marriage, but we rejected him at the beginning. I, I find it so sad when marriage today has become like, well, let's just have a good party. Because we're already living together and we're probably already having sex. So what's to do? Well, we'll just have a good party. But actually there's something profound going on. There's images and symbols that are incredibly profound that mean that marriage really matters, but it also means that they're a picture of something else. And if you're single this morning, you're still part of this. You're still part of this. You know, you may not be married, but you're still going to be part of married to Christ if you want to be a Christian this morning. So let's just pull some of those. We're going to double-click on some of those and pull out some verses so you just didn't think Andrew Wilson's just making it up. By the way, the marriage service was written by a guy called Thomas Cranmer. He obviously knew his Bible and knew the gospel. You know, so I know it's really tempting to, to write your own stuff. And you can do that and put it in your own words and we say, you know, we share our holidays to Mallorca together. You know, and my Ferrari is your Ferrari, or whatever you do. You know, that's okay. I don't mind that. But actually, there's something more profound going on. And I think sometimes the words... And it's interesting, the word obey is being taken out. We'll come back to that. <laughs> okay, so husbands, Paul writes, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy and clean by the washing of the water through the word and present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any, any other blemish but holy and, and blameless. Like imagine you, okay, or imagine us as a church where Jesus is standing at the altar here and the church and, and you lot, me and we, we come in at the back and everyone turns around and goes, what a filthy bunch. 
what a, what a mess. What is, what is matter with them? You know, there's, you know, we're supposed to be this pure and beautiful and spotless bride, but actually the Bible says we come in filthy rags. We're like these, these beggars that come at the door, and it's like, whoa, okay, right, this, this filthy beggar is going to like come and marry, marry Jesus. And there's something wrong about that, but actually Jesus, even before we even get to the church, as it were, stretch the metaphor with me, even before we get to the, the building for the wedding service, Jesus has already done something. He's already made his bride pure. He's already given himself, even before we promise to give ourselves to him, he promises, he gives himself to us on the cross, he stretches his arms out and says, all that I am I give to you. But actually, that has incredible power to make us, change us from a filthy beggar into a princess. But that's what happens. I'm not saying Kate Middleton was some filthy beggar. Please don't stone me and take me to the tower. But, but what I'm saying is, in the Bible, you are all filthy beggars. You've got nothing but debts. You've got nothing but filth. Or your mind, your work, attitude, you're a filthy beggar. Whoa, Jesus comes by the death on the cross and takes, uh, takes off our filthy clothes and clothes in righteousness. There's a story that Jesus tells about that. A guy goes off to a far-off country, ends up eating with the pigs. You know, he would have been smelling good. He had his, no, he'd run out of money. He's coming back. The father runs, wraps his hand around and says, hey, let's get them off. Let's put a righteous robe on you. Let's make you it's pure. Beautiful. If you're struggling, if you're a Christian this morning and you're struggling, or if you are a Christian and you're struggling, you think, man, why, 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 why have I got these dirty secrets? Why have I got these, you know, I'm carrying around these filthy rags. He has washed you and made you clean. Not because you tried your best or because you were the best looking. Actually, he chose us, Paul says, he chose you because you weren't the best looking. He says, you weren't clever, you weren't proud, you weren't wise, you weren't noble birth. In fact, he's chosen the beggars of this world because he cleans them up, brings them to the back of the church. But what happens is you get these, these vows that you say. Vows of faithfulness. It says, um, it's always first to the bridegroom. bridegroom. Why? Because the bridegroom, in theory, in theory, guys, should be the initiator. You know, and that's not because of tradition, because the image is Christ the initiator. He's the one who took the initiative. Before we weren't even interested. Before we didn't love him at all. We weren't interested in him. He came and loved us and pursued us. So first to the bridegroom, and when it says your name here, we're going to read it, and I want you to put your, your name. No, I'll put my name in, okay, save you pain. So this is what the bridegroom, so the, as it were, the father turns to his son, Jesus says, Jesus, will you take Howard to be your wife? I'm comfortable with that. Jesus, will you take Howard to be your wife? Will you love her, comfort her, honor and protect her? Will you never leave her or abandon her and be faithful to her through all eternity? Jesus is really uncertain about this. He's thinking, man, I, I, you know, what's Howard like? What do we do? No. No, no, no. He's straight there. I will. I will. I'll have him. I'll have him. I'll have him. Yeah? And then he turns to me. He turns to you. I should put, who's one like their name inserted here? Paul Hunting, there you go. You didn't want your name, but you got it anyway. Paul Hunting, will you take Jesus to be your husband? Will you love him, honor him, and forsaking all others, be faithful to him as long as you both shall live? I will. Amen. That's what you do. It's, like, it's how you become a Christian, sort of. You make these vows of faithfulness. He's never going to break his vow. You might. But actually, the way does it, he keeps your side as well. 
Forsaking other gods. We talked about this in the Exodus series. You need to forsake other gods. Whatever your golden calf is, my team lost at the weekend, so I'm feeling less golden calfy about them. But you know, whatever your golden calf is, whatever you think, you think, if I had that, I'd be really happy. You've got to forsake that. You've got to forsake that. So I forsake that. It's him I want. It's him I want. Forsake all other gods. This isn't some half-baked kind of, well, I kind of like church on a Sunday. This is absolutely, critically, you forsake all others and say, it's him I'm having. You don't have your cake and eat it. This isn't an attempt at Brexit. You know, the best of both worlds, cherry and cake. No. You have one or the other. You're in or you're out. You belong or you don't belong. Sorry, did that sound like a preach on Brexit? It wasn't. Do you know what I'm saying? We want the cake and... Or, Taken, we want our bit. We want our own special deal with Jesus. I'll make a deal with you. Now, I'll give you this, but actually, you can't have that. Actually, I, I'm going to have that relationship, but, but can I have that one with you? And can we make this deal? And we come with our little checkers agreement, and then he goes, come on, all in. All in. We need to be all in, people. All in. Fake sake, all other gods. There's a sign of the promise. Jesus says, Jesus says, Alex... I give you this ring as a sign of our marriage. With my body, I, I honor you. He already did. He already honored you, dying on the cross. All that I am, I give to you. My goodness, my love, my spirit, and all that I have, I share with you in the name of God. Alex, God is not holding anything back from you. Jesus is saying, I give you everything. All that I am, I give it to you. That's good, eh? Not good, it's good for Alex, it's good for us. It's like this big swap. Uh, Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, Martin Luther called it the Great Exchange. So what happens is, uh, if you're getting married and you've just been a student, so we're, we're going to, uh, uh, Emma and, and Ed are getting married, but you know, they've, they've got a few possessions and they're, you know, okay, but actually John and, John and Lena are getting married this week and, and they've got nothing but student debts. <laughs> so imagine that Johnny says to Lena, all that I am, I give to you. And everyone goes. <laughs> and then Lena goes, yeah, all that I have, I give to you. And they all think, <laughs> doubled. That's why it rolls. So we got, we, Jesus says, all I am, I give to you. My riches, my wealth, my name, my purpose, all I am, I give that to you. And we say, well, I don't know if I've got much. I've got some sin here. <laughs> Do you fancy that? He says, okay, I've already taken it. It's good. I'll take it. I'll take it. Is that what you can give me? I'll take it. He get, we give him our sin. He gives us his royal name. He pays our sin on the cross. And suddenly we're Kate Middleton. HRH, married to the king. Uh, actually, interesting, in Ephesians, uh, I, I, well, I thought there was a slide. Interesting, in Ephesians, Paul, Paul says uh, that he's, um, he's given us him, uh, his, uh, his, himself his spirit as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Familiar with that verse? You might not be. Jesus gives us his spirit as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. In other words, he's saying, all that I am as king of the universe, I give to you. I promise it to you. Interesting, the word, uh, the word uh, deposit, or it, it, it sounds like a bit like a transaction, like you're buying a house, doesn't it? It's like, oh, yeah, okay, there's a deposit and there's stamp duty. You, you know, I'll give you that bit and you get the house later. But actually, it's much more intimate than that. The, 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 the word, the actual original word stands for an engagement ring. 
The Greek word means an engagement ring. And it's like Jesus says, I give you my spirit. I give you my spirit as like this engagement ring of the future. The promise of the future. We read that later in Romans. Paul says, Paul says uh, he's given us his spirit by which we cry, Abba, Father. Different metaphor about adoption, but the same idea. He gives us his spirit as a down payment. How do you know that you're loved? How do you know that it is? His spirit inside you says, he's my, he's my guy. It's him. So we're not like, oh, we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit because you think, well, that's kind of a handy thing to have on your website. You know, we're evangelical and charismatic. No, but we actually, it's the deposit, it's the truth, it's the, it's the kind of ring that says, I am engaged to Jesus. Why is it engaged? Because the full wedding is still to come. Bear with me, but we're not going to push into that. But the, there's more to come in this relationship. But he gives us his spirit. All that I am, I give to you. Romans 5.5 5 says, God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who's given us. When you come and receive Jesus, he gives you himself. He gives you his Holy Spirit. This is weird. Um, where does this happen? Okay. Let me sum up. We're married to the Prince of Heaven. His father, our father, were sons. When you get married into the family, you become part of the family. You become sons and daughters. Diana, the, obviously when that happened, it was all tragic, but they basically say, actually, it was really difficult. She felt it was difficult being part of the family. The family didn't accept me. I didn't feel part of it. But actually, no, Jesus completely invites us into the family. He's, his father is our father. He even tells us, doesn't he? Because you're married to me, you can pray our father. Your sons, your daughters... The reason why we say sons in the Bible because the sons in those days got the inheritance. What about his name, our name? You take his name. You get rid of your filthy name and you become married to the, uh, the Rothschilds, I think, would be a good example, wouldn't it? Or somebody really... Imagine you're like this poor family called the Kellets. You know, they come from a working class estate in Leeds and like what happens is like, okay, you're going to get married into this amazing family, this world-renowned family. Better than the Rothschilds, but this is the, the family from heaven. You get his name. You get a new identity. All the things that were true about Kate Middleton are no longer true because she's part of the new family. You get his spirit. You're unconditionally loved. He's poured out his spirit on you. You get his riches, our inheritance. You get, you get eternity. Everything that's his get, he comes to you. You get his righteousness, becomes our righteousness. So, you know, we try to think, oh, am I going to be good enough? Am I going to make it? Will God love me? Will he change his mind about me? No, he's given you his righteousness. You get forgiven. You get justified. That means as if you never sinned. You're counted righteous. And you get his life. We talked about death. You get his life that cannot be destroyed, his indestructible life. You get that. That's part of who you are by his spirits in you. But the best thing is he gives us himself. You feel like, could that be like slightly exciting? This is just not theology, you know. This is true. Let's just land this. There's a wedding supper. Andrew Wilson talked about it in his video. There's a wedding supper. This is the wedding supper. I know if you went for a wedding and you just got a piece of dry bread and a bit of, you know, a, a small splash of... Uh, of grape juice, you might feel it's not enough. But this, meager though it looks, is the best meal you ever have. This is the wedding supper. We do it every week. It, it, it says, um, Paul says, is not the cup of thanksgiving that we bless 
the fellowship of Jesus. In other words, his blood, it's like you're joined with him and you're joined with his people. The cup of thanksgiving that we bless is a fellowship in the blood of Christ. The bread that we break is a fellowship in the body of Christ. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all take of the one bread. We get to be connected. I've said this so many times, that when you take the, the bread and eat it, it becomes part of you. You become one with the bread. Corinthians 1.6 says, The two will become one flesh. Whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. And then there's the two become one. You know, it's a bit weird, isn't it, on a wedding, that you all cheer them as they go off in the car and you know exactly what they're going to do. They're going to become one flesh. You know, we design, men and women designed to fit together because we're complementary pairs, the image, heaven and earth. We're designed to fit together. The two will become one flesh. But actually, when you become one flesh with Jesus, you become one with him in spirit. That, power, that, that in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6, actually Paul says, don't go to sleep with prostitutes. Because you become one flesh with them. There's something more going on than just matter. We're one flesh with him by his spirit. And then at the end of time, when you've married Jesus at the end of time, Paul writes in Ephesians 1.10, he says, God's good pleasure that he purposed in Christ to put into effect when the times have reached their fulfillment is to bring all things in heaven and earth together under Christ. These pairs that are separated are going to come together. And Revelation 19 says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It goes on to say, Rejoice if you're welcomed, if you're invited. The thing is, everyone's invited. But not everyone's going to come. Everyone's invited to this wedding supper at the end of the universe where, where the world's going to be made right and, and sin and death is going to be destroyed. Let me really read the verses at the end that you can see how it all fits, fits together, perhaps. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. Remember we talked about these pairs, heaven and earth, land and sea. I saw the holy city, Paul mixes his metaphors here, but it's good. The holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, now heaven has come to earth, the dwelling place of God is now among his people and he will dwell with them. And they'll be his bride, his people. And God himself will be with them. There's intimacy and closeness and he will be their God. He's going to wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And the city itself does not need the sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives its light, and the lamp, the Lamb, Jesus, is its lamp. And, and I love this. It says, its gates will never be shut, for there is no night there. Got no light and dark anymore. There's no night there. But yet nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what's shameful or deceitful. I used to read that as that God kept him out. 
God kept them out, but actually, we just read the gates are open. The gates are open. God isn't keeping them out. They just don't want to go in. They don't want to go in. They don't want to be with Jesus at the beginning, like in Adam, they don't want to be with Jesus now, and they don't want to be with Jesus in eternity. They'd rather have other something else. The Bible says they're left outside, separated, suffering. But it says, the ones who come in are the names who's written in the book of life. When you marry Jesus, you sign the register, and you're in, invited in. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.